love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's easy, especially when we think of our neighbors as our friends and family. But what do we do with those people that we really don't know anything about? The Human Family Podcast hosts conversations with guests from local religious and cultural communities to explore a more complex narrative of who our neighbors are in the greater Santa Barbara area. Welcome to the Human Family Podcast. My name is Kenny Chisholm, and I'm your host. This week I'm joined with co-host Yasmin Salak, and we're bringing you a conversation with Rabbi Steve Cohen. You'll hear about his connection to Santa Barbara and how he's seen it change over the course of the few decades he's lived here. And we'll also hear about how the Jewish story of Passover and the practice of Shabbat have supported him in the past year. Rabbi Steve, Yasmin, and I have been in community with each other through various interfaith projects for about two years at this point, so I hope you feel right at home as you join us in this conversation. You're currently listening to the edited version of our podcast, and if you want to hear the full conversation, including how shared history and difficulty has bonded locals together, how our religious traditions have helped us face up to the long and continual history of racial inequity in our country, and where Rabbi Steve finds hope amidst great trial, check out our extended version in the same place you found this one. I'm really excited to be here today with my co-host Yasmin Salak and Rabbi Steve Cohen, who was the senior rabbi at Congregation B'nai B'rith, which is just up off San Marcos Road overlooking Tucker's Grove. Since this is intended to be a local-focused podcast, I want to first acknowledge the history of the land that we're living on which has been stewarded by the Chumash people for thousands of years before it was forcefully taken by European settlers in 1782. We humbly seek to be in conversation with the Chumash today as they continue to lead by an example of deep spirituality and community. Rabbi Steve, can you share your preferred pronouns, how long you've called Santa Barbara home and what excites you about being part of the Human Family Podcast? So my pronouns are he, him, and his. I've been in Santa Barbara since 1985, so about 35 years Hmm. or 36 years. And I'm really excited about the Human Family Podcast. I I think it's going to be a wonderful opportunity for for us, for for me and my community to share about um, us with other people who are interested and also for us to learn about other people. I just think it's uh, a wonderful way of reaching out and connecting with each other during this time when we can't be together physically. Hmm. Since 1985, yeah. I wasn't born yet. <laughs> I, that was 10 years before I came into this world. I'm curious as to what's one of the biggest things that's changed in Santa Barbara since 1985, since you first walked these lands. Yeah. Well, Goleta has changed a lot. I was working in Isla Vista from 1985 to 2004. Mm-hmm. And when I first came, a lot of open fields, which have since then um, been developed. That whole area that is now Camino Real was uh, back in those days, empty fields. And uh, and in general, it does have much less of a open and undeveloped field than it did back then. Also, Something that I'm particularly sort of sad about and missing is the the butterflies in Elwood. The butterfly groves back in those days, there were thousands, thousands of monarch butterflies, and and it was a 
uh, somebody had posted a sign up there saying, this is a sacred space, hmm. act that way. <laughs> hmm. And it really felt true to walk into that, that grove and to see those thousands of butterflies just, just hanging from the branches was a magnificent, beautiful, and an awe-inspiring sight. And hmm. they're pretty much gone now. Hmm. I think all of us are clinging to some hope that there may be a return, but with less and less optimism as the years go by. Hmm. So those are two things that come to mind. Yeah, The Camino Real development hasn't been all bad, even though I miss that openness and the, the, uh, the empty spaces that were there in the middle of, of Goleta. I do appreciate being able to sit out there to go to the farmer's market there on, mm-hmm. on Sunday. And you know, it has become a, a community. It's a place to, to uh, see people and to sit out and have a donut or a, a burrito or whatever, and to just see people. And so I don't see it as all bad. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the place where I grew up in um, Danville, California, on a, on a shorter time scale, admittedly. But I remember from when I was, from when I could first remember, there used to be these rolling hills on the other side of the street from my development. Mm. And by the time I got into high school, it was all neighborhoods and, and homes. I remember thinking that was so strange and it kind of got pushed out, you know, further and further. And because we were kind of, we used to be on the edge of the openness, mm-hmm. but then that's, that's changed. But, yeah. One happy story that my family and I were part of is that the the Elwood Bluffs, which are between the area where we we live in San, in the Santa Barbara Shores area, and uh, between Santa Barbara Shores and the ocean, there's these you know beautiful Elwood Bluffs, which is near where the the butterflies were actually. But that area was slated for something like 300 houses, and there was a wonderful community effort and coming together of the city of Goleta and the university and the private developer. And they actually, they actually did a good thing and moved all of the, the houses over to near Hollister. So that area would be open for forever. Hmm. Uh, and that was a moment where I felt like, okay, it is still possible for people to come together and, and make something good happen. I love that you mentioned the butterflies of Goleta mm. because I was lucky to see them once eight years ago mm-hmm. during my freshman year at UCSB. And it was, it was such a beautiful thing just seeing these butterflies just yeah. flying everywhere. It was almost surreal. And that's definitely one of my favorite memories of Santa Barbara. Yeah. And this was the time of year when they would come sort of from between November and February. So yeah. right, right now in January, mm-hmm. it was the best time to go and see the butterflies. And my wife was a butterfly docent, actually. She would, mm. she oh, really? would she, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she would um, go out there for a few hours every week and would explain to people what they were seeing. Yeah. Time changes so many things and mm-hmm. things are always in flux. Things are always in flux. And yeah, that kind of brings you to one of my questions here. Over the course of a few thousand years, Judaism has had many expressions in our world as it's been shared by many cultural and ethnic groups. I'm curious to how you would locate yourself in the broad tree of Judaism that we see today. And what's something that you love about your own expression of Judaism? Mm. 
Well, it's a, it's a wonderful question. And I appreciate it, just the acknowledgement and recognition that, that it's a, a big tree with many different branches. I grew up in Rochester, New York, <clears throat> and so it took uh, many years for me to come to feel at home in California. But now, after 35 or 36 years, I would describe myself as a California Jew. And that phrase actually has many different levels to it. For one thing, uh, in terms of the Jewish diaspora, the, the wanderings of the Jewish people, it feels like California is at the end of the road. It's one of those places that is furthest away from the starting points of the Jewish people. And, uh, and that's both an interesting, that's a, it's a very interesting place to be as a Jew. It means that we're very far, here in Santa Barbara, we're very far from the centers of Jewish history and Jewish life, far from Israel, far from New York City. Of course, geographically, we're not that far from Los Angeles, which is a big Jewish center. But I think, as we all know, Santa Barbara is quite separate from Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I've actually, I don't have them in front of me and I don't have them memorized, but I've actually written a couple of poems about being a California Jew and mm -hmm. the experience of finding oneself very far away from one's beginnings. Mm -hmm. And... So there's a feeling of being in exile and, well, being in exile, but also being in a place where there's a lot of freedom to, to choose the way to express one's Judaism. Mm. And when you're in an old Jewish community that has been established for a long time and families and institutions have been there for generations, there's less flexibility in those kinds of of settings than in a place like this where we're all free to, we, we have to create whatever it's going to be. Mm. So I see myself as being in a position of needing to be a connector for Jews back to the sources of Judaism, to the centers of Judaism, but also to, to work with people to, to empower them to, to create whatever is going to be the Judaism of the future. I guess that's a little bit of how I locate myself in the, in the Jewish tree. Yeah. I think I can relate as being Muslim in Santa Barbara. It's, I feel the same way mm. where our community is very removed and it's relatively much smaller. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's pros and cons to it. Right. The cons are it's not an established community. You feel like you you yourself have to put in the work to create the community. I feel like my community has struggled to bring in like scholars that we want to learn from just because we're so far away. But a beautiful thing that I found being in a smaller community that's really removed is that we've become this really nice tight-knit community and you you really get to know your neighbor in a more intimate way as compared to living in a much larger community where maybe you just like know your family mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely and I, I i do want to say yes mean that i've been very moved um by all of the contact that i've had with our local muslim community and have been fascinated really by the way that even more than our local Jewish community, that the Muslim community is so international 
and uh, I, I remember coming over to the new Islamic center on one of the celebrations and seeing just all of the different dresses from all over the world. And in some ways, Santa Barbara, the Jewish community of Santa Barbara also is a very international place. You wouldn't necessarily expect that in a relatively yeah. small <laughs> place. But, you know, we've got Jews here from all over the world, really. People who grew up in, in Russia, in South Africa, in Chile, in um, Mexico, Cuba, Israel, Iran. And that's all, another thing that's kind of distinctive about being a Jew here in Santa Barbara is it's a, a very rich mix of people from all over the place. Yeah, I mean, that is surprising, especially because we are a smaller community, how diverse yeah. it ends up being. And mm -hmm. I think also like you, you kind of reminded me about also one of the great things about being a smaller Muslim community is as compared to bigger Muslim communities that are just so busy with their own community, we've, because we're a smaller community, we've had a lot more opportunities to interact with other faiths of Santa Barbara. And so mm -hmm. I've always been so thankful to interact with you and the people of CBB. And I think that wasn't something I experienced in other Muslim communities from where I grew up. But because mm -hmm. ISSB is much smaller, we've found ourselves to interact a lot more with people of other faiths. Yeah. The, the longer I live here, the, the more interesting I find it. And really, the more in love I become with this place. And I feel like I'm entitled to love this place. And that is a good thing to, to love the place where you live. Mm -hmm. It also, in terms of this human family project, I think that it's also perhaps the key to our beginning to feel more connected to each other's communities is that what is it that we all share? Well, we all live here. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, even though we have our own traditions, our own religions, our own languages, foods, you know, there's so much that, that we're trying to preserve within our own communities, but we do all share this particular piece of land. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Being, being in, in interfaith work, we often look at ways in which various communities have common perspectives on the world and look through common lenses, seeking how do we have healthy relationships with others, with mm -hmm. God, with ourselves. Can you speak to how your relationship to Judaism has helped you navigate this last year? Like what specific traditions or teachings have you fallen back on? Well, that is my job as the as as rabbi to, to try to bring some meaning and some something helpful to people as we're challenged in these various ways. And of course it has to start with myself. I have to if I'm going to offer anything to anybody else, I start with just trying to figure out, well, what am I finding or what might I find in my tradition that might be helpful? When we had, when we were in the early phase of the, the lockdown back in late March, and we were all at home, you know, we were all at home. Nobody was going out at all at that time. I, it's, it's even a little bit hard to remember exactly, but it hit me. Uh, that was in the weeks leading up to Passover. And it hit me that that story of the night of Passover, where the, where the children of Israel were in their homes 
as the angel of death was passing through the land mm. was actually a story that in some deep way fit and described the experience. You know, I began thinking more about that and trying to imagine what it was like to be in to be in that story and to be in a house where there is death outside and you don't know really how long it's going to go on for how it's going to end and what you're going to find when you eventually do come out and and so just on on the level of storytelling i have found that it's very there's something deeply meaningful and helpful about making a connection between my own in this case our own experience and of and an old story and to understand by making that connection between our own experience and our own lives and this old story it suddenly helps to see what we're going through as something that is profoundly human and connecting to our own humanity. So that's been one that's one example of something that I have found helpful. Another thing I'm I'm actually sort of in my mind just going back through some sermons that I've given this year because that's the way in which I process these questions is when I have to give a sermon, I know that people are out there waiting to hear, well, what's Rabbi Steve going to say? <laughs> and mm. um, and it's, a big, it's a big responsibility. So it does force me to, to try to think as deeply as possible about it. So another, another sort of sermon that I gave that was helpful for, for me and, and I think helpful for others also was last spring when we had been in isolation for several months and I was feeling so sad about a lot of things. I think we're all missing so many things, but I was, and I still am, but I was at that time particularly feeling so sad about not being able to sing with people. That's such a big part of my own and our religious life is singing together. And I was missing that deeply. And I, I wanted to understand that as much as I could, and also look for what can I do to um, deal with my sadness. Hmm. And I was sitting out in my backyard, which is, we have a nice garden in back of our house. And I like, I love to sit out there. I especially love to sit out there early in the morning when I'm doing my morning prayers. Hmm. And I was sitting out there and at dawn, the birds are just singing like crazy. And I thought, well, here's singing. I'm surrounded by singing. And maybe I can just be here praying with the birds or, you know, singing, praying with the birds. And that was a a revelation for me. And it led to a a nice opportunity to share with, with, um, with my community, perhaps an opportunity that, uh, wouldn't have come otherwise. This has been a very long fight. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there has to be attention to 
what a lot of people now call self-care, but to deep rest. And I would love to hear, I mean, the Jewish tradition of Sabbath mm. is something that I did not take serious in my life until I started attending CBB mm. more mm -hmm. regularly. Certainly we talk about Sabbath in Christian traditions and there might be a couple of sermons a year that someone would say that. And I would usually think, oh yeah, I should do that. It is one of the commandments after all. Right. But it doesn't really work with our culture. <laughs> <laughs> no. And yeah, I'd love to hear a bit of your reflection on how Sabbath and deep rest has has encouraged you and keeps you going. So yes, I would begin by saying, and I like to point out to members of my community that it is one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, it's right up there with honor your mother and your father and thou shalt not murder. And I like to ask people, well, first of all, why, you know, why does it even need to be a commandment? Don't we all just always feel tired? <laughs> don't we always feel, <laughs> don't we always feel like resting? And I think that there is something, I don't know if it's in our culture or if it's something that's deeply human because it has been a commandment for much, much longer, for 3,000 years. Mm -hmm. I think that there is something in us that doesn't want to stop thinking about the Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat, which, just, which literally just means rest. Mm -hmm. And one of the deepest ways that the Torah, that, that our scripture um, talks about Shabbat is that it is explained in two ways. You know, one is that it is a, a reminder of the creation. This, the biblical story of creation is that over the course of six days, God brings the world into being. And then on the seventh day, God rests. And that there is a um, missing element in the creation before Shabbat comes in. And, and I think that the missing, the missing element is its holiness. It is peace. It is relationship. All of these things. Shabbat is our day where we stop doing. We stop the work. Not because there's trying. no more work to be done. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. But we stop the work of trying to fix the world. Hmm. And we just live live here in this world together with the people that we love the members of our family the members of our community and we have a day for being together for singing together praying together learning together and it really is for me the day that brings meaning into the world and into my life the other piece in the torah that is offered as the reason, the rationale for Shabbat, is that Shabbat is a weekly act of self-liberation, of communal self-liberation, and saying, no, actually, I'm going to set aside 20, 25 hours, 25 hours to not do all of those things, but to just be with my family, my community, with God, and that's going to make me a much better person and ready to get started on the work again at the end of the day. I really loved learning about all of that, about Shabbat. Mm -hmm. A lot of it, I 
didn't know. And it, it really <clears throat> makes a lot of sense. And it, it makes me think about what rest means for Muslims. We don't have a particular day to rest from worldly responsibilities, but we see the five daily prayers as us disconnecting from whatever we're doing in the world to go back to what our true purpose is for Muslims. So mm. for Muslims, we're, we're actually given the answer in the Quran of what is the purpose of our, like, us being on earth and that is none other than to worship God and so for us it's dropping what our bodies need from us or, or want throughout the day with like our responsibilities our jobs our to-do lists and going back to our actual duty and not only is it a duty for us to worship God it's also healthy for our hearts and mm -hmm. so so it's amazing that we believe that God doesn't owe us anything, but praying to him and worshiping him is the essence of our hearts and our hearts do find peace in that. So we're given that responsibility to disconnect five times a day. Another thing is the weekly Friday sermon that is for Muslims considered to kind of be a recharge of our faith just because it is part of human nature to forget our purpose and the Friday sermon is our weekly reminder about what, you know, we should be doing as Muslims. And also the last thing is Muslims believe that our bodies are something called an amana to us, which is basically our bodies are entrusted to us. So we have a responsibility to take care of them, meaning that we do need to pay attention to when we're becoming exhausted, when we're overworking ourselves, when we're feeling sick, when our mental health isn't the best. It is our responsibility to prioritize our bodies, even if that means taking breaks that others don't see are necessary. But we do, as Muslims, have to respect our bodies because they are a creation of God. So just like Muslims are supposed to be taking yeah. care of the earth and respecting the earth, we also have to respect the needs of our bodies as well. And so we are supposed to take rest as necessary. Hmm. So beautiful, Yasmin. And I'm always inspired when I hear... Uh, you or any of my Muslim friends talking about their relationship with prayer and their re relationship with God through prayer. I think there's a lot that, that I and that my community has to learn from you. Steve, as you were speaking about Shabbat as not just a time to rest in general, but to rest from the work of Tikkun Olam, of repairing mm -hmm. the world, mm -hmm. those things kind of go together. And it occurs to me that something happens to me or something happened to me and continues to happen to me when I started to actually practice a Sabbath day to get a taste of not being anxious or not being as anxious, mm. to get a taste of what healthy living, what relaxing with community looks like. That kind of ruins the system that we're kind of coached into of just keep going and just keep going. And when you get a taste of that, it kind of throws everything out of whack in the best way. <laughs> because <laughs> it's, yeah, it's beautiful. And, and it's a time, like you said, to, to find or to return to our sense of meaning and purpose as 
being and being with each other and worshiping and praying together. As you said, Yasmin, these are our purposes. And I think whether intentionally or not, our social systems to anthropomorphize a bit don't really want us to get a taste of rest. Mm. Because I think it's when we're constantly moving and moving that we believe that's actually, that's kind of the way life goes and that's just how it is. But like you said, we have to actually be told to rest. Yeah, like it's a commandment and it seems like a weird commandment yeah. <laughs> um, until you realize, yeah, you know what? I actually do need to be told to do this <laughs> right. um, or else I really won't stop. But that in between resting time, whether it be one day a week or praying five times a day, that in between we go for it. <laughs> you know, we, we, we give our effort to do our duties to God, to each other to the planet. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, tells us that the Muslim who engages with the community is actually the better Muslim than the Muslim who hides away and spends all of his days and nights praying to God. And I think that's something very important to know is that part of Islam, part of worship is engaging the community because Muslims believe that the earth is temporary and our forever life is going to be in the afterlife after this life. However, that doesn't mean that we're just going to isolate ourselves and not care about what's going on here. And that actually it's better for us to engage ourselves with the community, even though the people around us might not believe what we believe, might not be doing the things that we're comfortable with, but it is important to engage because, in my opinion, that's the only way to not only be an example of a good citizen, which is in line with Islam, but also it's, I think if you just isolate yourself all the time, you get you get into this tunnel of thinking that your way is the only way of being religious and you miss out on opportunities where you're humbled by others and the good works that they're doing. And that's only possible when you interact with others. I know that it probably feels, to a lot of young people, it just feels like religion is just dividing people from each other. And it's not a way to, to help repair the world. But at the same time, I do think that people want the connectedness that religion provides to other people, you know, to other people in one's community, to, to people throughout time. At least that's what I think about and talk about with, with the young people in our congregation. I, you know, I talk about how lucky we are that we have this tradition that connects us to Jewish people all over the world and throughout time. And I think they get it <laughs> on some level. Uh, it's not something that they always feel comfortable with or at home with, but I think they get it. And I think that what we're doing with this, this human family project is actually helping people see that being connected with one's own community doesn't mean that you are necessarily disconnected from people in other communities, that it's possible to have both, mm -hmm. to, to be really grounded and rooted in one's own tradition and community, and also be open and 
learning from and in communication with people from other religious traditions. And so many of my most moving experiences as a Jew and as a rabbi have been in interfaith conversations. Because it's so, it's so exciting to, to become aware of the parallels and things that are resonating at the same as, and also the diversity. It's all incredibly interesting and delightful. Rabbi Steve, how can we connect with you or your community or our listeners as well? Yeah. The standard portal would be our (laughs) our website, Mm -hmm. um, which is www.cbbsb.org. So that stands for Congregation B'nai B'rith Santa Barbara. So cbbsb.org. And that, that will take you to, among other things, information about us and what we're doing and, and also a calendar. Right now, we are doing a lot of online programming. Mm-hmm. And I know, Kenny, you've attended some of the Torah study. So every Saturday morning, we have a, about an hour and a half of Torah study. Every Friday night, there's a a um, worship service Friday night at six every week. And then also on Saturday morning at 1030. And it's all virtual at the moment, which is in some ways lacking. Uh, We're lacking the physical experience of being together and feeling each other's bodies vibrating. Uh, But there's some good also people are joining us from all over the world. And that's kind of, that's kind of fun. So we have a lot of, of programs going on and, and everybody's welcome to all of them. Thank you. Sure. I do want to, I do, I want to emphasize that, that mm-hmm. it's a priority mm-hmm. of mine and of our community to really open the doors and to invite people to come and be curious about us mm-hmm. and visit and participate and with absolutely no need to to join or to share share who you are or what why you're there to just, you know just come and visit and be curious and our commitment is also to to go out and to learn about everybody else as well because hmm. I, I I think that's the the work that's a, a huge part of the the work that we have to do right now is we're doing everything that we can to create and sustain and transmit our Jewish traditions and our Jewish identity and our Jewish faith and equally important right now is for us to connect and to you know, really fully participate in the human family. Wonderful. Would you be willing to offer us a blessing to close our time today? I'd like to express my thanks, first of all, to to you, Kenny, and to you, Yasmin, for your thoughtfulness. Each one of you, your thoughtfulness, your openness, just the beauty of your souls and your deep wisdom. And I would like to also express my gratitude to God, who I honestly believe brings us together Mm. 
all the time and brought us together this afternoon and was present in our conversation. Thank you, God. Thank you for joining us today. One of my favorite things about having conversations like these is learning about what values my faith shares with other faiths. As a Muslim, justice is one value that Islam teaches me to uphold. Today, I also learned about the importance of justice in Judaism, and this gives me hope for a better world that is achieved by an interfaith effort. Next week, we'll have a conversation with Nakia Zavala, who is the Culture and Language Director for the Santa Inez Band of Shumash Indians. Please subscribe to our podcast to see our latest episodes each week and share it with your friends. And always feel free to reach out to us at thehumanfamilypodcast at gmail.com.